just pray with me? Father, this is your word. It's alive. Lord, these are your children, Lord. I'm very careful to open your word to your children, Lord. I pray that you would anoint it, that you would quicken it, and that you would already, you've already met with us here tonight, Lord. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, Lord, and that you wouldn't let one word fall to the ground, God. And we just thank you, God. We know you're faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, read with me in Matthew 4, verses 13 through 17. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zebulon and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali and by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the people. The people which sat in darkness and saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and the shadow of death, light is sprung up. And from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was prophesied in Isaiah. Jesus perfectly fulfilled it in Matthew, and we read it here tonight for us. The Word isn't old. It's not ancient. It's alive still today. I remember some years ago, I was talking to Mary in the foyer, and we were talking about how dark things were and the times we were living, and she looked me right in the eye, and she said, it is an exciting time to be a Christian. And I said, yes, ma'am, it is. When she left, I was like, whew. It hit me like a bag of hammers. You know, it, what it mean is it struck me. It struck me. What a testimony. What, what an outlook on life Amen. that you could say that. Because let's be honest, the times, they're dark. They're dark. They're confusing. They're dangerous. They're perilous. That's the last times, the end times. And uh, we have been chosen to exist in this time. But in the wisdom of God. That's exciting. That's exciting. And we're pressured on every side to be conformed into the image of this world and its system. Uh, if you can look at billboards, social media, magazines, television, and everything is designed by the enemy to uh, cause us to stumble, to cause us to fail, and to calls us to take our, mind, our eyes and our minds off of Christ and to look to the left and to the right. Amen. It's designed. We have an enemy. And we're faced daily with decisions. Uh, are we going to follow Christ or follow this world system? Are we going to trust God and the Word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Or are we going to fold to the opinions and views of the enemy system? And that we're faced with that every day around every corner. Will we compromise in areas of our life and allow our faith to diminish and dim? Or will we going to are we going to vacillate up and down? Or will we'll, or will we allow God to steady us? Mm-hmm. And on top of that list, y'all, we can sin and we can be carnal and we can mess up and we have to start all over. Amen. Um we need direction. We need direction. We are to be in the last days 
these days, according to the Word of God, a people of prayer, a people of holiness separated unto the Lord, pilgrims and strangers, salt and light in the world but not of it, were to be wise, discerning the times, studious in the Word of God, and were to be still and know that He is the Lord. And we're to preach the gospel. Amen. We're, we're the servants, not, not Him. He's the, he's the Lord. I manage about 20 men, and I can tell you every one of them want to be in charge. Every one of them comes to me, but we need this or I need this. And I say, hey, I think you got that backwards. I'm in charge. You know, that's, that's, that's a, that thought comes from unbelief. I can show you that in the Bible, in John 7. Those thoughts come from unbelief. And Jesus told that to his own brothers. Um, it's not time to blend in with the world. It's not time to camouflage and hide out and stick our heads in the sand to pretend like these times aren't dark and pretend like these times and these things aren't going on in the world. I ask my children all the time, do your friends know you're a Christian? Do they know, or are you just like them when mommy and daddy isn't around? Do you say the things they say? Do you laugh at the jokes they laugh at? Do you listen to their music? Because you have to be a Christian. Amen. You have to stand up in this world. And I know they're children, but as dark as these times are, if the Lord tarries, it's going to be worse for them. So they have to be strong in the Lord. They have to make decisions every day if they're going to follow Him or not. And, you know, we live in dark times where right is wrong and wrong is right. And there's not anything new under the sun as far as sin. There's no new sin that hasn't been committed a thousand years ago. But I would say this, that it's more in your face now because of technology mostly. It's more in your face um, and sin abounds, y'all. Sin abounds, doesn't it? What was a shame to do in public 20 years ago is now not only acceptable, it's normal. We've been, um, the word, uh, overwhelmed with sin and inundated by it to where we've become accustomed to it or we have doctors inoculated to it. We've been given a little bit and given a little bit of poison, and given a little bit more, to where we're almost immune to it. And, and it doesn't make us sick anymore. And sin abounds. Sin abounds. And grace does much more abound. I say amen to the Word of God, but I don't say amen to that understanding of grace. Uh, th that, that means sin abounds, grace does much more abound, Grace is greater in strength than sin. That's what that means. That's Amen. all it means. It doesn't mean that we, in 2000, our sin level was here, and so God put our grace here. Now, His Word is true, and now it's 2017. Now our sin's here, and so God pours out His grace in increments until we're here, and He winks at our sin and says, now you can operate in this level of sin because your grace is greater now. That is an incorrect and a misunderstanding of grace. Uh, it, means, it means that the grace of God is greater than sin. That's what it means. And God's grace is nothing new. God has been dealing with man 
God's grace has been present in God's dealings with man since Adam. It's not new. It's not a magic wand. You understand? But my, my the point is this. Sin abounds and we're not defenseless. We're not defenseless. We've been given the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the grace of God, the provision of God, and the blood of Jesus. We've been given that in these times to live. And so as Christians, what are we supposed to live like in these last days? Are we supposed to be hunkering down in this living room here like a bunch of doomsday preppers waiting for the last days with a, a shipping container buried under your backyard? Which Rachel would not let me do, by the way. I tried to do that. I'm not lying. She'll tell you. It's exciting being married to me in these last days. She would not let me bury a shipping container under my yard. Anyway, we are called to be salt and light, right? Okay, so I want to lay something out in Isaiah chapter 30. Please. It's kind of laborious, but just bear with me because I want to make my point. Isaiah chapter 30. While you're coming, get there, I'll, I'll um, give you a little bit of background. The time frame is about 700 to 600 B.C. Isaiah is the prophet. He's God's man on the job. He's the foreman. Okay, The audience, which I always like to find the audience. Who is God speaking to in the Word of God? That's very important. The audience is a rebellious people. God's rebellious people. He calls them children. He calls them sons. And that is very important. You can cut that up any way you like it. But God calls them His children. He calls them His sons. Lying and rebellious, yes, but children and sons nonetheless. Um, so they, the, the audience is God's rebellious people craving security from the world and the world system because there is a looming threat of invasion of Assyria at the time, the Assyrian Empire. Uh, God is going to secure a remnant through judgment. And his message to these people is, In returning and rest, you shall be saved, but you were unwilling. They did not want what God was offering. Okay, let me make this statement, and don't misunderstand me. Most, I don't say all, but most of what we call modern Christianity today is either lost, or they're in some form of deception. Not all, but most. Lost people need to be saved. By the preaching of the gospel, repentance, and faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Deceived. Deceived. They're in trouble. They're in danger. They very well could be God's children. You understand? They're deceived. They need direction. They need the revelation of the Holy Spirit. They're deceived. On one side, uh, you have the spirit of Antichrist... Uh, deceivers, false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing, and the enemy Satan himself. On the other hand, you have the church, the Bible, and God Almighty. And in the middle, you have these people. And there's a battle for their souls. They need direction. They have based their life on a false notion of God and who He is and what He wants. And they mostly do not know what they believe. 
That is most of what is modern Christianity today. And it is terrible. And it's heartbreaking. And Jesus said the fields are white with harvest. They're white. They're ready. But they don't have the direction. So, Israel, Isaiah chapter 30, has formed a a league, a coalition with Syria, uh, which is directly north of them, to uh, have some sort of security against the Assyrian Empire, which is growing. And it pretty much covers the whole east side in the Arabian Peninsula of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Judah, which is split at this time. And below it you have Egypt, and then on the west you have the Mediterranean Sea. So... um, Israel and Syria have formed a coalition. They are pressuring Judah to join this coalition, but under the direction of the Lord and the prophet Isaiah and King Ahaz, who is a terrible king at the time, he does not join this coalition. He doesn't join it, but he does compromise with Assyria because Israel and Syria are pressuring Judah and they're attacking them. So he greases the wheels, you might say. He starts sending treasures to Assyria to aid them and to help them. He's made a deal with them. But it says that the king of Assyria helped him not. Ahaz, he worshipped pagan gods. He took things from the house of the Lord and gave them away. He made offerings to Balaam. It says he made Judah naked. He was such a bad king, they wouldn't even bury him in the tombs as the other kings. He was terrible. He was a terrible leader. And he stripped Judah of everything and anything of value and gave it away for nothing in return. And so here is the condition. We find the people of God in when we come to chapter 30. Confused, surrounded by the enemy, and compromised. When we make it to chapter 30, Judah is now trying to make another ungodly compromise with Egypt. And they're making the same mistakes, giving up their treasures to a system or a nation that cannot and will not help them. And that's where we are. And Isaiah's on the job. He was probably perceived at that time as some sort of a doomsday prophet. Uh, He probably wasn't very well liked, uh, but actually he had a message of salvation and hope and restoration. His name meant Yahweh is salvation. So that's what his name meant. And not much is known about Isaiah, his innermost thoughts, or you you can make assumptions about the type of man he was by his actions, but what was important about Isaiah was his message. It wasn't the man, and that's the way it should be, right? It's not what the man is, it's what the man's saying. Excuse me. Isaiah defines everything by its relationship to God. Isaiah had a biblical or a godly worldview. God is the central figure, and Isaiah judges and determines everything by his relationship to God, as opposed to a secular worldview or a humanistic secular worldview where man is the central figure and everything is judged or determined by our relationships with each other, right? And this embraces 
uh, reasoning, uh, ethics, social, social justice, philosophy, and things like this. And it specifically rejects anything uh, religious that uh, you would use for morality or decision making. Humanism. It, I've been told that, or, or heard that humanism is the world's religion. It's a religion, which is kind of funny because they reject religion as a, as a basis for decision making. But it is certainly a religion. It is cert- this is where you get things like, and it's invaded the church. You get things like raising awareness about social inequality and things like that. That's, that's humanism. That's humanism. Or let's end human trafficking. That's humanism. Feed the children. You understand? It's man is the center. Man is the center. So here is uh, the context, history, and social climate of Isaiah chapter 30. And this is the question. This is the question. Who will the people of God trust in a dark and confusing time? And where will the direction and decision making come from? How much different is it today? How much different what we face today than what Isaiah was facing? It's the same questions. Where are we going to get our decision making from? Who are we going to trust? Because it's dark. Let's read, y'all. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, but He calls them children, that take counsel, but not of Me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. That word cover with a covering, it means to ratify a covenant, to make a deal. It means to weave a web or devise a plan. And God said, woe to my children that do that. Woe. And add sin to sin. Sin is cumulative. Who remembers fourth grade math? It adds up. It stacks up and it keeps adding up. Sin, that they may add sin to sin. So here's the plan in verse 2. Here's here's Judah's plan, what they're going to do. That walk to go down into Egypt and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame and the trust of in the shadow of Egypt, your confusion. That means uh, idol. It means shame. Uh, the word shame means, uh, I'm sorry, confusion means disgrace, shame, and dishonor. They're synonymous. They're basically the same word. Dishonor, shame, reproach, confusion. For the, his princes were at zone and his ambassadors came to Haines. They were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them, nor be of a help, nor profit, but a shame and also a reproach. Verses 6 and 7 are pretty hard. I spent a lot of time on it to understand it. Just bear with me. The burden of the beasts of the south into the land of trouble and anguish, from whence come the young and old lion, the viper, and the fiery flying serpent. They will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses and their treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose 
Therefore have I cried concerning this, their strength is to sit still. Basically, it's saying this is a prediction of the animals that are going to carry these treasures down to a people that are not going to help them, and it's going to be hard, and there's going to be danger, and it's going to be anguish, and it's going to be travail, and he basically feels bad for these animals. And so not only, I believe, what the Lord is saying is not only is what you're, you're giving everything away of value, but the journey to get there is hard. It's hard to do that. And the Lord telling us from the beginning that the Egyptian strength is to sit still, and that word in the Hebrew is Rahab Himshabeth. So Rahab was this sea monster, from lack of a better word, and it was represented Egypt, and it represented insolence and rage and pride and anger and confusion, and that's what the Jewish people would call Egypt, Rahab, this great monster that had strength, Egypt. But the Lord says, no, it's a Shebeth, a Himshebeth, meaning, no, it sits still. It sits, it's weak. What you think is so strong and powerful is actually weak. It's weak. And I think I probably would have turned around when he said flying fire snake. If anyone has any revelation on that at all, I would love to know it because I didn't find anything on it. But there it is. It says flying fiery serpents. I don't, I'd be open to hear anything that you have to say about that. So say, he says Egypt is worthless to you. It's not going to help you. This system that you think is going to help you, it's weak. For the verse 7, no, I'm sorry, verse 8. Now go write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. Aren't you glad God does that? He doesn't hide people's mistakes. He lets us know. He writes it down. It may not be pretty, but it's how it happened, and I'm thankful for that stuff every time. <laughs> write it in a book, he says. This is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Listen. Which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, Prophesy not unto us right things, Speak unto us smooth things, Prophesy deceit. Tell me more about that gospel of grace. Tell me more about that easy believism. That's what I want to hear. Tell me how I can do yoga. And fit it into my Christian lifestyle. That, that works for me. Tell us smooth things. Things that are easy. T tell me more how I can show up any old way I want to church. If you, if you can. I, I was praying today that I would make it here with a bath. I'll be honest with you. That's the truth. Prophesy unto us. Say easy things to us. Say something nice, Isaiah. Say something easy. And this is their hearts. In verse 11, Get out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. I don't even want to see Jesus. I want to come to church and I don't want nothing to resemble anything about Jesus. I want it to fit into my lifestyle. Hey, can you turn that message into a three-minute devotional so I can get my God time in during my coffee break? I don't want it even. I just make it motivating. How about that? Just make it so where I can be successful in this world. I don't want to even see Jesus. 
When God, when the truth of God is no longer proclaimed, the God of truth disappears from the hearts of men. And that's what they wanted. Verses 12 to 14 are very clear. Listen. Wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, now God speaking, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and stay thereon. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach, that's a wall, ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall whose breaking comes suddenly at an instant. And he shall break it in the breaking of a potter's vessel that is broken in pieces, and he shall not spare, so that there shall not be found in the bursting of it a sherd or a shard to take fire from the hearth or to take water with all of the pit. God is saying, remember, sin is cumulative, and you're stacking it up. And what you're stacking up is a wall, and at the bottom of it there's a bulge. So your foundation is not solid. And the more you stack, the bigger this bulge gets, and the worse it gets, until one day you put that last one, and boom, it explodes, and it falls on you. Now you're trapped in it. You're trapped in it. Thank God for His mercy that He can save to the uttermost. We're not, they, there's hope for people like that. There's hope for people. God can save to the uttermost. So now their sin is actually their judgment. And they're imprisoned by it. And not only that, it's worthless to them. It's not even a piece big enough to what can scoop water. And that's what he's saying. Can't even carry a fire with it. It's worthless. And you're trapped in it now. Verse 16, 15. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, this is the message, in returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength, and you would not. In returning, repentance, rest, faith, trust, hope. Faith and repentance, you would be saved. That's simple. The message was the same then. The message was the same then. But you would not. But you said, no, for we will flee upon horses, therefore shall you flee. And we will ride upon the swift, therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one, and the rebuke of five shall you flee. Weak, weakness, till you be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain and as an ensign on a hill. He's going to remind everybody by the testimony. And would you believe it or not, people will be attracted to that? And they'll come to that failure? 18. <laughs> this is good, y'all. And therefore will the Lord wait. What? What? Does your Bible say, and therefore will the Lord destroy you forever? Crush you in your sin? Hurt you? No chance for you? And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. And I have a note right here that said, what a great God we serve. Amen. What a great God we serve. We don't deserve it. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be a very gracious to thee unto thee at the voice of your cry, prayer. When he shall hear it, he will answer you. 
And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, and it's good for you, and it's good for you, and you shall not thy teachers be yet shall not thy teachers be removed unto a corner any more, but your eyes shall see thy teachers, or the teacher, the teacher, the rabbi, the master. He's not going to be removed from you anymore. You're going to see him, and you're going to hear him, and this is what you're going to hear in verse 21. This is the message, y'all. God so put this on my heart. He gave me this one verse, and I studied it backwards. This is the message. And this is what Jesus is saying. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand, and when you turn to the left, direction. Direction. 1943. America is at war with Germany. The United States Army is utilizing paratroopers to insert and deploy large quantities of men rapidly. Alright? Go Army. Alright? And it's effective. It's effective. A paratrooper is... Uh, an infantry soldier with a parachute strapped to their back. That's what they do. They jump out the planes, they would form up in ranks once on the ground, and then they were pretty much infantry from that point forward. I wouldn't call them only infantry to their face. I'm sure they would not appreciate that because they just jumped out of an airplane. Okay, so they were brave. They were fierce warriors at this time. And they had mottos like rendezvous with destiny and uh, all the way, death from above. They would say these things to motivate themselves. And they were fierce once they got together. There's a story about them. Uh, there was an enemy commander, and he was trying to take this town. And he, he asked his uh, troops, he said, why can't we take this town? And the troop said, sir, there's a paratrooper over there, and every time we go there, he beats us. So the commander, he says, send every soldier we have, every bullet, every tank, every plane, send the battalion, send the brigade, send everyone. And so they do. And so a little while longer, a few little soldiers come struggling back. And they say, the commander says, what happened? What happened? I thought you said there was only one over there. And the soldier said, oh, no, we've made a terrible mistake. There's two of them. <laughs> there's two. See, their strength was together. Right? That's biblical. Two or more gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of you. One chase away a thousand. Two ten thousand. Two touching anything will have it. Right? That's biblical. But that was the problem. They would jump out of these planes. They were being shot at. Shot down. Okay? So they would jump early. Uh, they weather. They would jump in the dark. Uh, they would uh, be blown and scattered for miles apart. You add the fact to the thrill of being shot at while you're floating through the air, and maybe their judgment was off a little bit too, and they missed where they were supposed to be going. But the most that they didn't have was direction. They didn't have a way to light where they were going. You understand? There was nowhere to aim. There was nowhere to aim. And so the 509th Parachute Infantry Battalion come up with the idea. They saw the solution. They saw the problem. They came up with the solution. They said, let us go first. We'll jump in. 
before the main body and we'll set up landing zones, markers or beacons so that they'll know where to go. And they called themselves pathfinders. They still exist today. They make up less than 1% of the army. They are distinguished and at this as a matter of fact most nations have some sort of replica of these people that set up landing zones. They basically made lights. And so they the only thing that would distinguish them from other paratroopers was a little patch. They didn't receive anything extra. They volunteered. And the patch was a torch. And it had wings on it. And their motto was light the way. Light the way. Listen. Jesus Christ said of himself, I am the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. John, 8, uh, John 9 says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus answered in John 11, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbles not. Because he sees the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbles because there's no light in him. 1 John 1 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him. And we declare it unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. According to these scriptures, who, in answer, who is the light of the world? Jesus. I'm going to mess you up right here. 1 John 4, 1, 4 through 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Matthew 5 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. According to these scriptures, who is the light of the world? You are. You are the light of the world. Is that legalism? Is that finishing in the flesh? I call it life. The Bible says that the light of Jesus Christ shines and it's my light in me if I'm born again. And it's shiny. My light is shiny. And it's Him. He's getting the glory for it. But He's shining His light through me. Y'all can come. I'm almost done if y'all want to. So, I say this. Men are lost. They need the light of Jesus. They need the Gospel. What are we doing with our light? Are we hiding it? Are we hunkering down? Pretending like nothing's going on? Are we shining it? Right? What are we called to in this dark age? What's our response as born-again believers? A life of holiness. Call it legalism if you want. A life of prayer. Amen. Right? 
separated unto God, studious in the Word of God, wise, discerning the time, being still and knowing that He is God, and preaching the Gospel. Amen? 2 Timothy, through it, not specifically, I'll read a few, it says it like this, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God is sure, having this seal, the Lord knows them that are His, and let everyone that names the name of Jesus Christ depart from iniquity, holiness. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, and with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Prayer. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God perhaps would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Chapter 3, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come perilous time. Preach the word. Be instant. In, out of season. Rebuke, reprove, exhort. This is the way. Walk ye in it. Like the way. Like the way, Cornerstone. That's the word. And Father, we just thank You, Lord. I thank You for Your word, God. I thank You that You are the light of the world. That Your light in us shines forth, God. And Lord, we want to be meek for Your work, God. We want to be ready, God. We want to live a life separated unto You, God. You said it's life, God. It's not flesh, God. We're calling upon You and we're, we want to be obedient to You, Lord. Lord, it's not legalism. It's not Pharisee, God. We want to love You. We want to be light in this world, God. We want to serve You now, Lord. And I thank You so much, God, for Your faithfulness, Lord. I thank You for these people here tonight. God, I pray that You would bless Bless this word. I pray that it would challenge them, God. And help us, Lord, to receive it. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.